It's Dr. Stu's Podcast. Thanks for joining us right here at drstuespodcast.com or on iTunes. It is Oh Nothing, just podcast number 81. We have done 81 of these programs, Dr. Stu's Podcast, on iTunes, on the website. There's, for lack of a better term, a catalog of them, an encyclopedia of them. Sometimes, and it means a lot to us, we'll hear from people who email Dr. Stu at askdrstu at gmail.com who have first learned about the podcast. Here's the good news for you. There's 80 of them that you haven't even maybe heard in their entirety sitting right on this website on iTunes, chock full of information, opinion, analysis, stories, fun, frivolity at some moments that uh, we really, I on behalf of Dr. Stu, who's been my friend for Yeah, I mean, we've, 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 we've learned about Coachella, we've learned about Randy's nose, we've learned about... Parenting. Uh, about uh, Jamie the Cat, we've had all kinds of stuff we've, non-medical. We've, we've had special shows on the passage Fast of... Fast food, uh, uh, good and the bad. I, I mean, I just, just want to tell you that since we recorded that last podcast number 80, I have not been back to the fast food place. <laughs> I got an evil eye from uh, our two guests, Kimmy yeah. and Emily, who are back with us again today. So I've just decided that I, I would take a break from fast food between podcast 80 and 81. Still my favorite okay. show we did, and we'd have to go back, is on the passages of time and life. But I will have to say- Remember that show? When your daughter was going down to college and we did a show- Oh, uh, that was podcast 50. Was that perfect? Yeah. And it Times ends, of your life, and you ended and with a beautiful song. I ended it was with great. A, a beautiful song by Green Day called "The Time of Your Life." Yes, the that, that was one life. time we broke away from Thor. Yeah, and that's really what we need to. Uh, we like to touch your life because look, we understand on this show. I'm a radio guy. If you don't know me, I'm Brian. Extraordinary. I've been doing radio for 28 years. Do it mostly in the morning. Did it sometimes at night. Uh, and I feel like a person who knows a little bit about a lot of things, which I think is a prerequisite for any journalist, especially somebody on the radio talk radio. I do should be able to hold a conversation about a lot of different things you don't have to be an expert in a whole bunch of things a few things you're expert but know a little bit about a lot of things through Dr. Stu and his guests who are back today Emily uh Benner got it and Kimmy McGuire got it I'm learning more and more last time the podcast was called obstetrical violence and that was uh, podcast 80 this is podcast show number 81 and uh, we're going to talk a bit abor- more about what's been seen uh, in hospitals and uh, and by the way you see these types of things ladies outside of hospitals as well things uh, events that would qualify as obstetrical violence are they exclusive in your opinion and experience to the hospital no they are not they are predominantly I see them the majority of them are happening in hospital, but I have seen uh, two lesser degrees on the lower levels of not getting consent, you know, not um, d- doing procedures without explaining it or offering the information. Or yeah, I, I could tell you, Brian, that I can, I can, you know, I've been to a lot of home births and with some of some of mine most well i've been to all of mine duh and uh some that's helpful other, probably some other yeah some other midwives births as well and you know the the the, the, the well-meaning is there but yeah. sometimes you just are in, more you subtle. forget or but but it one thing that is reasonable or is is different between the home and the hospital setting is that we're okay to take criticism and we're okay to be approached afterwards because the we you refer to are doctors no, doctors and midwives who do out-of-hospital, well, midwives mainly and me, who do out-of-hospital birthing because we, we, our relationship with doulas is a lot different, I think, than the, uh, the relationship with doulas or birth keepers in a hospital setting where sometimes they're looked at as 
a third wheel or a fifth wheel or a ninth wheel. Right, like we debrief with our midwives and with with Dr. Fishbein, which is very different. No, I'm not debriefing with any of these obstetricians. And I specifically ask the doulas how how they thought the birth went. I mean, a lot of times after the baby's born and there's this little golden hour where the mom and dad and baby are sitting in the other room and we're all sitting in the kitchen or in the living room hanging out. We've talked about about the golden hour. We've talked about that, right. Right. And and you'll talk about We'll talk about it. And and, and Emily is not shy. Kimmy, I haven't worked with, I don't think, at a birth. Kimmy, I, I have a question for you Kimmy uh, yeah. I know that you um, I know I just can tell uh, you're you're a genius yeah I can tell that <laughs> I can tell Thank also you. that you are very passionate about this extremely and I can tell that you're very well read I don't do it for the money uh, no. And I, yeah, I can tell that too. Really, I can tell. There's, there, there, there's. No, I don't. You look beautiful, and you're dressed beautifully. So that was not. That was not an evaluation of how you look. My gosh, Stuart, please, and you too, Emily, with driving me down a path I don't want to go. Here's the point. You read. Do you read things about your profession that Absolutely. that horrify you? Absolutely. Oh yeah. For example. Um, well, here in California, we are fortunate to have hospitals who offer VBAC, which is a vaginal birth after cesarean. We have talked about VBACs here. Okay. So as you may know, there are still states in America, United States of America, that do not offer that. They have uh, Hospitals have completely banned uh, VBACs. So, is the idea there, very quickly, I'll stick with you, yeah. obviously, Kimmy, is the idea there that a mom-to-be would have to drive across a straight a state line to get that service? That's right. Sound right. like something else you might remember in American history? I just ask that. You know, it's, uh, yeah, it is unfortunate truth. And actually, it's even worse than that because if she does not drive across another state where she can get a VBAC and the doctor schedules her C-section and she's at her house and she does not show up for that C-section, he can court order the police to drag her into the operating room and cut her open and take out her baby. Making the birth of her baby probably the single worst experience of her life when it's supposed to be the 180 degree opposite. And let me tell you how important a memory of birth is. Alzheimer's patients, female Alzheimer's patients, the very last memory they remember is the birth of their children. It's beautiful. It's the most important memory to a woman. Yeah. Uh, Wow, that's powerful. Uh, Emily, the, have, you, have you in a hospital setting, and, and we won't name hospitals, and we won't name providers. Of course. Uh, you're going to give us some, because it's important. Uh, we don't deal in the spectacular or the outrageous on Dr. Stu's podcast, but when we're doing a show we don't. about obstetrical violence, well, if you want to call eating 20 McNuggets in five minutes in a competition uh, spectacular and outrageous, well, then maybe we did that once. But here's the point. Uh, we, Randy was shot on set one time. I do remember that, but he lived, and that's the difference. He did live. And he did live. Even though he was at Kaiser, I think. He did at Kaiser, and uh, and in the middle of the treatment, they had the crash card out, and they had him sign. He had They had to get his credit card out. He took his credit card out, and they ran, they asked for insurance right before they could crash him. It's no. all fake, by the way. That's all fake. We made all of that up. Send your complaints to Dr. Stu <laughs> at askdrstu at gmail.com. I don't, remember, but, I don't remember the name of that podcast, but that was one of our, our glorious moments. But to pay off the, as we say in radio, we pay off the tease to pay off the expectation of our listener to this podcast, whether it's on iTunes or right here on Dr. Stu's website, when it's called obstetrical violence and we're dealing with that, you've got to tell us some things you've seen. Sure. And, and I'm going to start you with a question, which is a provocative question. Dare I say it's an outrageous question, but I have to ask it. Have you, Emily, without names, ever seen in a delivery room a doctor, a woman or a man do something to or about 
a mom, a baby being delivered, a husband, that he or she deserved to be removed from that room in handcuffs for? In my personal opinion? Of course. Absolutely. What happened there? <sighs> Where to start? In that specific hardcore analogy that you just said that would wind someone up in handcuffs? Yeah. Forced episiotomies, um, pulling out, you know, trying to pull out the placenta and the whole uterus comes out with it and they shove the uterus back up. Um, you know, it was something I see all the time is a woman wants an unmedicated labor, but she's still choosing to birth in a hospital that doesn't really know how to deal with that. So she hopefully in these scenarios, she has a great birth, unmedicated, blah, blah, blah. And then the placenta is born. I'm sorry, the baby's born. So then they start tractioning on the cord and pulling on the cord and pulling on the cord to try to get the placenta out. That usually typically in a normal environment, uh, doctors do quickly for this takes how sure. long for the placenta to follow? Well, anywhere from like two minutes to 45 to minutes. Okay, yeah. it can yeah. take up to an hour. Yeah, yeah. Okay. As long as they're not bleeding heavily, there's no urgency or reason to right. uh, mess with the placenta So at these all. stories are where there was not heavy bleeding. This was just normal yep. physiological, you know, Got it. second, you know, third stage. So um, placenta is still in. They're tractioning, tractioning, tractioning. Mom's screaming, ow, 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 why? Do we have to do this? Please stop. And then they force it out, pull it out, and the mom starts to hemorrhage, right? Because they've just pulled an organ that wasn't ready to detach. And to that point, she's screaming, no, stop. Sometimes, yeah. Which, by the way, apply that to any other consent law, uh, rape comes to mind, of right? Where no means no. That would, I mean, that's it. But in this environment, there's seven people saying, it's okay, honey, just breathe. Just look at your baby. Everything's fine. So when you describe them, my dear, it almost sounds like a mob mentality takes over those working in delivery rooms. I'm talking about the professionals. I know I'm it being kind provi- of is. I'm being provocative, kind of but is. but this is what we're talking about here. But so what where I was going to just finish that story was that so then they cause a hemorrhage by forcing the placenta to detach, you know, before it was intended. So then the mom's now bleeding out. So now they have to give her postpartum pitocin and any other interventions. In some cases, blood transfusions. All of this was under the umbrella of a mom wanting an unmedicated birth in a hospital <laughs> that does not know what an undisturbed birth even begins to look like. And mom's partner's freaking out or has been asked to leave the room at this point? No, the dad's not usually, or the partner's not asked to leave. Um, It's just, they, what I was saying on break actually was that, you know, so many of these births, these moms have these horrifically traumatic births and then they thank the doctor and they think this was a normal birth. Or that there was a problem of their cord and the doctor saved them. They thank the doctor. Oh, absolutely. And they'll come back. Well, then back. they go back for they'll the next go back pregnancy, to the same too. Doctor. And right. there's this hero complex that they cause problems and then they fix those problems. Well, the and God, they, the God they, complex, again, I always say on this program, I don't say it a lot, but uh, Alec, Alec Baldwin, who is a celebrated great American actor, watch Malice, where he plays a doctor, and watch the monologue about the God complex that he it's has. It's a great monologue. If you've never seen that movie. Brilliant. I know it's he's. With Nicole Kidman's in that movie. Yep. Right? He's yeah. become a punchline, Alec Baldwin, for political reasons that I think are unfair, but he's a brilliant actor, and he's got that God complex that too many providers have. Uh, well, too many providers have. Mar- Marsden Wagner, who was a uh, wonderful... He was a visionary in our field. Absolutely. Forgive my ignorance. Tell me a bit about him. He actually uh, was a doctor that did his residency at a hospital, one of the hospitals here in Los Angeles, and then he went on to become the uh, director of women and ch- uh, children's... For 
the Women and Children's Department for the World Health Organization for about 10 years. So he has this one book called Born in the USA, where he totally lifts the covers off of basically the training of becoming a doctor and the hierarchy that's involved. Sounds very interesting. It's very interesting. And he also talks about obstetrical abuse and he talks about it not only in the form of physical abuse, but also with the use of medication and drugs, mm -hmm. putting drugs into women's IVs that are hooked up in labor without even telling them what mm -hmm. they are. Some of them that are not even approved by the FDA going on and where hundreds of babies have died mm -hmm. and some mothers also too, just without the women even knowing that that this drug was even being put into their body based on a reaction and or overdose to uh, I don't know the circumstances yes. but the presence of that uh, of, of that substance basically is basically overworking their uterus and their uterus exploding uh, tearing and the baby compromise yeah, there's, so a combi I, I, there's, there's a combination of things that go on with that I mean when you look at the use of Pitocin and epidurals which is basically epidemic in hospital settings right now uh, Pitocin to induce or to augment labor and epidurals to deal with the pain that the Pitocin is causing. One follows the other. Yeah, either, you know, if okay. you give an epidural first, the contractions space out, then you need the Pitocin. If you give the Pitocin first, the contractions get pretty intense pretty quickly, so they request an epidural because they're not allowed to deal with pain in any other way, right? But those, and those things cause problems. Epidurals can sometimes cause a drop in blood pressure, which is then reflected in the heart rate on the baby, which then means they have to, they have to intervene to do something for the baby. I mean, and the whole thing that Emily was saying a minute ago about the the thanking the doctor who caused the problem, it's so true. It's like it's like one cascade, one intervention, one intervention leads to another intervention leads to the cascade that Ricky Lake describes so well in her business of being born film. And ultimately, you know, there's an emergency, and thank God we have an operating room down the hall. We were able to get your baby out in time when it was all sort of created by them. created by one step after another. So, I mean, we know that 32% of women who go to the hospital here in the United States end up with a cesarean section. We've talked about this a hundred times, if not once on this show, is that just that number alone would tell any sane person that something that's going on in the hospital isn't right. But we have hospitals here that they're alone in the hospital. Their rates are 68%. Are way higher, yeah. I know, uh, I have, uh, I never talk about my academics because my my schooling, my degree has never gotten me a job in radio my whole life. They say, can you be funny on the radio? Can you talk about issues? Can you talk for 12 seconds before Justin Bieber starts singing? Okay, you got the job. That's pretty much how the interview goes. But um, but I was a political science major. And, and, one, and, and if you want to impact the government or lobby the government, as I believe Dr. Stu used that term in our last podcast, uh, you've got to at least begin with an organization uh, with shared values and goals. Are there, as you describe, Emily and Kimmy, and you describe pretty spectacular and very offensive and very hard to listen to in some scenarios, uh, examples of obstetrical violence, surely there have got to be enough women and some men who would come together form a group that could reach out to a legislator and get some sort of ball rolling here. Right. I can't be the first radio no. guy or guy who put this, trying to put this a seed in your mind, am no. I? Well, no, there's been some grassroots efforts. In fact, we mentioned improvingbirth.org on the last podcast. How are the websites doing? They're actually, it's growing. It's a growing foundation. And I actually was a coordinator for the Los Angeles rally for 2012 and 13. Good for you. Yes, thank you. And it was actually a national rally where it all took place in all 50 states at the same time, uh, on the same day, Labor Day. So there are people That's taking great. to the great streets. Great promotion, great, great idea, Labor yes. Day, great idea. And it's going to press releases and there has been some press on it. 
So this and is, parental demand, you know, parental and, and demand. one of the things that's coming up for me to really make sure to say to the listeners is when you are with your OB in the prenatals, listen for the red flags. If they say things like, well, we might allow you or we're not going to let you or they use any sort of words like that, that make you feel like an eight year old kid trying to stay up after bedtime. Those are not the feelings that are going to produce a safe, healthy um you know, successful, sacred experience for you and your family. Yeah. But I, I, uh, which is also unanimous in approach. I also want to say something. I also suggest to women that they have these trial conversations prenatally. Absolutely. Because when you're in labor, you can't formulate words or discussion or even defend yourself. You're so vulnerable. Have, I had, the, have I, those trial conversations with whom? In the with prenatal the, With your visits. obstetrician or care provider okay. in the prenatal visits. Ask them questions that challenge what their practices may be and see if you feel like you're five years old when they're answering your questions. That's a red flag. Mm-hmm. If you're not being taken seriously and you're and considered and you're being spoken to like you don't have options or I just don't do that kind of answers. Or another red flag along that very same line that Kimmy was just talking about would be when the, if the doctor says, well, I agree with what you're saying, but the hospital I work at is frowns on that. That's called passing the buck. That's exactly right. It's called passing the buck. If, the, if you agree with it and the hospital you work at doesn't allow it, then why aren't you standing up and, and making change in the hospital, but they, it. but th- we've talked about that they, they they don't want to stand up because they really they don't really believe in what they're saying yeah, to that. It's a very client. complicated issue. I mean, induction is a huge one of routine induction at forty one weeks for no medical reason. This happens in forty weeks or forty weeks, 40 weeks or, in or one day. Yeah, of course, it happens on the whole spectrum. I and heard a story yesterday. I thought of Doctor Stu specifically because uh, we met today. Because you know, well, we met the last time you were here, but you know, we never do shows back to back. You guys went home, lived two weeks of your life, and then came back again, right? That's how it happens. That's how totally. it always works. Oh, yeah, that's right. And oddly enough, everybody's wearing the same clothes. It's really weird. But anyway, uh, I heard over the weekend on the radio that uh, a woman, I forget where, uh, had a scheduled uh, C-section. I thought immediately of Dr. Stu and how crazy he would go if he had been listening to this report with me. And there she goes. And it's about uh, and the way the uh, Michael Crozier's great report. I was listening to KFI in Los Angeles. It's a great radio station. My friend Michael Crozier is the news guy. And my friend Tim Conway Jr. is the host. And I'm listening. And they talk about how she is brought in and, and the baby's delivered. They then use the phrase, she's stitched up. She's there for about three days. They send her home. There's a record of about eight calls to the doctor where she's got this pain, but an odd feeling, but it's still pain. As she's recovering, they're probably saying, well, it's pain. After a while, she comes in. All right, we'll come in. Medical sponge left inside her. Very common. For 200, Alex. Medical sponges left inside for 200, Alex? Answer. (laughs) Yeah, very common, right? Yeah. It well, is. you know, I, I would I would disagree that it's very common. It's certainly how common some, is it, Stu? I out of a hundred out of a hundred procedures, it happens once. No, out of five hundred, it happens once. Uh, maybe, probably, okay. probably less than that. All right. I mean, they do have. You know, I'm not a big fan of policies and procedures at hospitals. You know how I think. I know one size fits all, but they do have at surgery. They they generally do sponge counts and they do them times three. So it's really unlikely that that's going to happen. Where it can happen more often is at a vaginal birth. I see. Because and now I think some hospitals are beginning to. We never used to count sponges at a vaginal birth, but you know I know people, including myself, who've had a woman call me six seven days after she delivered. Says, you know, I'm having this weird smelling discharge. 
And I'm thinking back, did I put a sponge in there when I was doing some stitching? And sure. then come back, and come in the room office. for human error. Yeah, come in the office. Of and of course. course, sure enough, there's a sponge in there. It's not going to cause toxic shock syndrome or anything like that. It is embarrassing mm-hmm. when you do that. But leaving it in surgically, there's no excuse for that. But that can happen. And again, surgery is not something to be taken lightly. It is... You know, it is ultimately uh, a major uh, uh, sure. abdominal procedure, sure. and not only does it have short-term consequences of healing and recovery, but of course, all the long-term consequences, which we've talked about bef- uh, on the show many times. I want to defend doctors because we've got Emily Brenner here, uh, Benner, Benner, Benner. Sorry. Uh, what's an R between friends? We've got Kimmy McGuire. We've got Dr. Stuart Fishbein on Dr. Stu's podcast. I'm Brian Whitman. And Randy Wang. And Randy Wang, our great producer, who's over there play, yeah. playing Woo. his Xbox or doing something. Yeah, we, we've got, we, he has, we don't have enough mics left, so Randy's without his oh, mic today. Right. He's, uh, he took an epidural, and he just seems to be, be relaxing. Uh, we're talking about obstetrical violence. I'm going to play the other side here because I think it's provocative, and I think it makes for good listening, and because I believe it. I believe it. The stories that you guys have told over the last two podcasts are provocative. Uh, To many, they are infuriating. To those that have lived through similar stories, they are bringing back memories that are no doubt with great sincerity and with great uh, sensitivity to you. They're horrifying. Uh, We don't believe, or do we? We don't believe, Emily, we don't believe, Kimmy, that these are professionals who wake up in the morning, go to work to perform what I might say is an exalted and fairly righteous thing to do on this planet to assist in the birth of a brand new baby. You don't believe that they go there to get their power trip going. You don't believe they go there to push a new mom around you don't believe they go there to knowing say, they're abusers to, no. to say you'll do this the way i want you to do it and darn it this is how it's going to get done or do you believe that is your well i'm talking about these people as humans mm-hmm. because to believe that as humans that is their motivation altogether changes this argument and the face of your outrage I, when I look at their faces and I'm trying to understand where they're coming from, what I pick up on is that they are genuinely doing what they believe to be the safest, um, most efficient plan without regard to the emotional state of the mother. So I rarely see them include the emotional state. So no, I don't think that they're just um, outright totally aware of their abuse. I think they're so militantly trained to be abusers. And what that can look like is to, you know, the other thing that has to be mentioned is they're put in a very hard position because they have to keep their ass in check. They have to know that they're the going to get sued. Admi- the hospital administrators and the insurance companies ain't helping this environment. Right. They are Not so much on the line for them at every birth that they can't even get to a place of trusting the mother. Mother, because if the mother's wrong, it's on the doctor. So we have this completely backwards. I would, I would, I would, I would like to just say something about that, though, because you know we have a society where what you just said, if, if the mother is wrong, it's on the doctor. Okay. In the home birth world, that premise should still apply, but we use the informed consent model. We have long prenatal visits. We discuss things. Some of my midwife colleagues have people sign consents for everything. 
um, you know, for declining vitamin K and declining erythromycin and declining, you know, newborn screening or whatever, or, or accepting or whatever, they consent for some of us don't do it on all those things. Yet we don't fear what you just said. We don't fear that. The, ho the home birth provider doesn't fear it. I don't think that. The, oh, I, I don't think, think many I, do. I, I don't know. I don't know. I just I don't think that that I, I know some home birth providers that definitely practice more defensively because mm -hmm. of that. Yeah. You think so? Mm -hmm. I know Absolutely. a couple. Yeah. I okay. don't think all of them do, yeah. but I think it's alive there too. The fear of litigation. Mm -hmm. Stu, I know that you. They're yeah, not all it, used it, to. But you know what? The interesting thing is, it's is then what's the point of informed consent? Stu, I know because if you if if a, if a informed right. consent it, and you document exactly. it, you're protected. Yes, you might get sued, but I'm going to tell you that it's coming. We talked about Hermine Hayes Klein in the last. We mentioned her name in the last podcast. It's coming, and her organization, other organizations are looking. Trial lawyers are not stupid. Okay, they're very smart and they find new niches all the time. And one of the niches that's coming is job. going to be that's their job. Uh, being suing people for assault or, or 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 suing people for wrongful cesarean or suing people for uh, you know suing doctors for doing things with you know, without consent. And that's going to come. And then, but and then I think that'll help. I think that well, I, I think it's going to need to help, but it. But it you is have funny. to understand, Doctor Stu has gone to the home birthing world to escape yeah. the the over the 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 over litigation. I don't feel it in the no. home birth. I world. know you don't, and I hope your buzz is not being killed by this podcast. But I think not. that when women go to the courtrooms and they start winning cases about abuse and not having informed consent, it's going to put a little more responsibility back into the hands of the parents. Of I don't even know what the hospital ministries are going to do at that point. And because, I, I have to because say, their policies are geared toward protecting the hospital against I have to say, guys, a bad as, baby. As a media person, as somebody in media who looks at ratings, if you had a story like this and put it on CNN Court TV, which really loves female viewers about Emily's age and about Kimmy's age, forgive me for looking back and forth here at notes, uh, they love you. Our viewers, our, our listeners can't can't uh, see you doing uh, that. But I do a natural <laughs> show. I tell people what I'm doing. Right now, I'm scratching my head. Uh, the uh, Don't tell us everything you're doing. These these viewers, and right now, Stu, I'm just staring in your eyes. Uh, producers, networks, they love viewers about your age. They find a good case like this in litigation. They put cameras in that courtroom, go 24-7 with it. Not only does it increase their ratings and demographics they desire, but it raises for educational and informative uh, reasons an issue that people care about, and it puts on the map this quest that you two lovely ladies are on to not completely end because you know you can never do that but mitigate and bring to the surface the reality that this what you call obstetrical violence is happening question for you uh, and we have some time but a question have you ever been uh in your roles as as doulas and uh, dr stew uh as a doctor back in the hospital have you ever been in a hospital that turn that 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 uh, where where a turn where a shouting match breaks out, where it sounds no because no you don't because I have you have yes tell us about it. I was in a birth setting where the doctor was not there, so the patient was left with a resident. The doctor was late. The doctor was not on site. I don't know where the doctor was, but was not available. Okay. So the, the patient was left with a, a very new resident, very wet behind the ears. The baby's head was born. The cord was around the neck. Very common, not an emergency. 
the given his experience maybe a little alarming okay the resident was very alarmed and yelled yelled out nuchal cord and then proceeds to cut the cord right off of the baby's neck what is nuchal around the neck cord what means it's around the neck okay. okay shouts it out so yes and the reason why that's a problem is because once the baby's out the a third of the baby's blood that the baby hasn't used yet is provided by the cord. It's by the provided placenta. by the placenta. It's, it's, it's squeezed out of the baby into the placenta during yes. that. The baby need, the baby if the baby doesn't get that blood, then the baby's using its own blood to start these organs that it's never used before. So it's suffering a massive drop in blood. Like it's almost like a massive hemorrhage about losing fifty percent of your blood. Yeah, supply. it's hypovolemic, which means it's low in volume, and then it will eventually when it equilibrates, it'll be anemic. So it yes. cuts the cord. So it cuts the cord. The which baby, sometimes, by the way, is necessary, but, but in extremely this case, rare. Not. Right. And I even said, "What are you doing?" Which was completely out of my scope of practice. Mm-hmm. But it just came out. I couldn't help it because it oh, was yeah. it was abuse on I the baby. I yelled at doctors. You watched him cut it? Yes. And or about course, to cut it and shouted, what are you doing? Yes. He, and re- then he responded with what? It was a she. And she looked up. Forgive at the, my sexism. She, she looked up at the side of her eyes with a very nervous look like, what did I just do? Mm-hmm. That's how wet behind the ears this doctor was. Right. She didn't look at you as if mind your own business. Not she at looked all. at you as if, oh my God, tell me, what did I do? Exactly. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, the baby was born and needed to have volume and needed to receive because it wasn't able to kickstart its own lungs. And we've also, we were talking on the break, we were also talking about an incidence where, I know you asked about shouting, and I don't know if it was shouting so much as it was when a woman wants to, uh, you were telling me, Kimmy, about a woman who wanted to deliver on all fours. Yes. And oh, yeah, the uh, nurses are, you know, the Physically, protocol of the hospital is such that they've got to be in lithotomy position, which is with their legs and, and so stirrups. four people are physically trying to turn yeah. her over and put her, force her on her back. No while medical she's reason. saying, no, no, I need to be on all fours. The baby's she, not in trouble she, at all. Okay, she, she, in, she uh, to the best of your recollection, she needed to be on all fours because it made her more comfortable and she wanted to achieve it the... It made who more comfortable? It was her intuitive position to birth. Okay. The, the mother. The pra- uh, oh, on yeah, all fours. Right? Yeah, okay. So... The the uh, the assumption of the position of all fours is on top of the bed. That's correct. So the the, the it's a bit awkward, was, the, isn't it? The patient was no, no. The patient's okay. in the hospital bed to birth. That's a sanitary place to birth. Sure. The only difference is is most doctors are not trained to catch upside down. Basically, yeah. that's I get all it. that's happening. Yeah. Spatial disorientation. Yeah. One <laughs> nurse. One nurse said to me when I said she needs to deliver this way, she looked at her looked at me and said, "Well, then how will we hand her the baby?" Just truly confused. Can I ask you a question? Of course. I like both of you. I love you. I give you permission. I like both of you. Go. Do you appreciate, we have a lot of listeners, we do globally as well. Do you appreciate, Emily, Kimmy, do you appreciate, your doulas, do you appreciate an RN, an LVN, a doctor, hearing your voices and your tales right now who are thinking, hey ladies, I went to school for 12 years or whatever it is. I do this for a living. It's real easy to uh, be mm-hmm. a spectator in my delivery room and then get on a podcast and sort of question with great compassion and likability, may I add. You're very likable guys, ladies. Uh, it's very easy to take pot shots at me. I'm in the trenches every day. I could show you a list of beautiful faces that I brought into this world. Do you think on any level you're unfair to well-trained you can question the training and the and the content of their training, but uh, good people who sought a who sought a career that is well regarded. Are you being unfair on any level to these folks? No, I, I think, think that so. obstetricians are there for medical necessity to keep everyone safe 
and in certain times to make the hard calls. But all of that can be done with respect, with informed consent, with communication. All of that can be done protecting the human rights that are deserved in childbirth. I can't tell you, uh, I, I get a few uh, international clients that come here from other countries, countries that are well-developed, industrialized countries where they have midwifery as a standard of care, handling all the normal births. And they come over here and they are just horrified. They're horrified and they're shocked. They can't believe the birth experience just because they want to birth in the hospital. Because and insurance also only covers that's where that. that is covered. What primarily about the experience they might witness or read about horrifies them? Exactly what Emily the was talking about. Violence. The Not having violence. informed consent not being being spoken down to as you were speaking as my friend the doctor getting to be the captain of the ship not the mother and the mother is the captain of her birth ship she is i'm going to debate you i'm going to i'm a a liberal i'm a liberal but i'm going to debate that point i'm a feminist i'm a male feminist there are male feminists normal birth right in a healthy normal someone someone in a hospital someone at a home birth needs to be captain stooping and it needs to be the most qualified, experienced person in the room. And that you person, shake your head no, that well, person should be holding I, space. Uh, you're wrong, Brian. You're, you're going to get you're going to get lambasted uh, here. By well, the way, if I get lambasted, that's fine. It wouldn't be the first time. It won't be the last time. Here's the good news. I'll like you after, even even though you lambast me. I'll like you after. You want me? La- you want me to lambast? He, he him can or do you it. Too. Here's him. the point. If if not, Doctor Stubing. Then is it person staying in cabin 1837 or let's let Isaac the bartender do it? I mean, Brian, birth is meant to work by itself in the woods. That's right. We don't need a brother of this shit available if it's a normal birth. Availability is okay, but the abuse and overuse of all of these interventions in normal birth, in normal physiological birth, is just inappropriate. If it all went away tomorrow, wouldn't you be a little concerned? You mean if obstetricians? All of the, no, no. If all, well, maybe them too. Well, we if need all of obstetricians the, okay, for high-risk birth. I understand that. If all of the S-word crap stuff that you lament the presence of went away, wouldn't you feel no, a bit behind I the eight ball? No, because I don't demonize the interventions because I've seen hundreds of births. I've seen births, you know, Pitocin save a woman from a C-section. I've seen C-section sure. save lives. Blah, blah, blah. I'm sure Epidurals you have. too. Epidurals be the best thing in the world for this mother. I've seen enough to know not to demonize any of these tools. They are tools that people should have access to when they need it. And ideally, we would have some utopian society where the providers trusted the nature of of things, trusted the process of birth, and knew when to use the tools when it was appropriate. But that's not what we're dealing with. We have the potential to be so much better. You're making making an assumption that everybody makes that, that we should have, the woman should be in charge of her own appendectomy. All right? Right. That's not the case. That's not the case. A surgeon There's should be in charge wrong. of appendectomy, but this is a normal physiologic function of the body. Look, do you need help wom- to go poop in the morning? I was just going to say I that. I mean, yeah. so that's that's the th- way, quickest was, way to break it down to any listeners was, who aren't picking up what I'm putting down. You're brilliant. I was just going to say you, that. if you, you know, in the morning, what happens when you have your little coffee or whatever and you need to go to the bathroom? You get triggers, you get, you get pressure on your rectum, you get triggers in your brain, you don't really have to think about you it. You reach for a sports you illustrated. You sit down Correct. and you pick up your phone <laughs> or whatever and it doesn't take much consciousness. It also doesn't take any assistance. Every now and then, maybe you're constipated and you need to take a no. Or maybe or maybe whatever. there's maybe there's blood maybe you have blood on the toilet paper and you paper need to go to the doctor to the then. and I've gone to the doctor there right. you go but uh, for a normal healthy <laughs> pooping <laughs> experience 
to pass your bowel movement. You do not need assistance. And in fact, the idea, let me finish, the idea yes, of having 10 people not only watch you take your dump, but also evaluate it but is if, atrocious. But and if, tell you that you're not going fast enough. By the way, you're both wonderful. I will counter. If the passage of a bowel movement, which can potentially be fatal, if the passage of the bowel movement uh, was critical and or potentially fatal uh, in in uh, percentages that childbirth can be and in some areas we see unfortunately are, why not have that team present to provide that immediate care? We're not saying that you shouldn't have the team present. And by the way, my bathroom ain't big enough. There's we're, only room for two or three we're, people We're saying, Brian, that the captain of the ship should be the mother to choose how and where. Should mom say, do you envision, this running over time, do you envision a world where mom and uh, I've my mom's in heaven and my dad too and they're coming up on nine years together in heaven. They went eight weeks apart. I, I see them up, the, I, I see them up there listening to it and I see my dad smile and I hear my mom going, what the heck is he still making trouble for? But here's here's my point. If, yeah. if, do, <laughs> no. you, do you envision a world where a, a woman uh, about to bring a baby into the world is sitting there. Maybe she's got a piece of paper and she's saying to doctor, I'll call no, him. I'm no, calling no, Fishbein. No, you're, uh, you're going off the deep end. Fishbein, I need, uh, I, I, I don't need that epidural uh, and I'm not, and you won't give it to me no matter what. And uh, in fact, I think I can get out of this bed and walk around for 30 minutes. It'd be, it'd be good for me. Now you're bringing, and you're not going to tell you're being me the no. quintessential Brian Whitman now. Okay. You're being contrary because that's not what anybody said here. What we're saying here is it's good. It's okay to have a birth plan. You told a woman to get out of the, you told a woman against a, med a medical advice to get out of her bed, to go see her babies. You did that. You told us on the air. Did I say that? Yeah. You said, put your flip-flops on. She, you, oh, don't you oh, remember that? Yeah, I remember okay. that. The nurses wouldn't, right. the nurses wouldn't so, let her go up and see I'm her not the baby. Bottom, the bottom line is mother's choice. Right. The, it's oh, human the, rights. The message, the message here is that these, all these actions have consequences. Yeah. And if they were doing great and right. psychologically... If the outcomes and, were good. If the outcomes were great and the psychologically it wasn't damaging to the families, that would be fine. But... It's not. We're not doing great statistically. We're not doing great with a 32% cesarean section rate. We're not doing great with women who are in support groups like home birth cesarean or, or uh, I, can, I can, where they're, they're traumatized and they're emotionally distraught because they realized afterwards, either shortly afterwards or years afterwards, that they were disempowered completely and their birth was stolen from them. We are going to go. Can I just say uh, one last thing? Here's what I'm going to do. We're going to go. We're uh, Kimmy McGuire, 30 seconds. Emily uh, Brenner. Brenner, no R. Oh, I got a mental block now. I'm going to call you Emily. Uh, you each get 30 seconds for anything and everything that you might want to underscore, something that maybe we left out, and then we'll wrap up because we're over time. This has been a fascinating conversation, very informative. Do, and, I, do I get like 10 seconds? You talk all the time. Okay. And yeah, you get 32. And, I only need 10. All right, you're all full of passion. 30 seconds for uh, Kimmy. I just want to say that, first of all, I appreciate our care providers. We need midwives. We need obstetricians. We need operating rooms for women that won't be able to birth vaginally. We need interventions to have a well-rounded safe birth. We do not need any kind of care provider forcing interventions, forcing bodily harm on any woman without the woman first agreeing to that procedure. That is a, not only a human right, that's a patient right. Very well said, Dr. Stu. Well, I'm next. Yeah. Okay. I was just going to say that if hospitals are worried about liability now, and they think they're between a rock and a hard place, okay, if they if they don't voluntarily begin to make changes in how 
they deal with the situation that we've been talking about the last two podcasts and have more respect for uh, women uh, for consent and, inf- and giving information and not invading spaces without permission, that sort of thing. If they thought they were in a rock and a hard place before, you just wait and see. And I don't want the solution to be lawsuits coming from the other direction. I want the solution to be respect for uh, for human be- uh, respect for your fellow human. You wouldn't want uh, the, no physician or nurse who treats a, a patient like we've discussed would want to be treated like that themselves. So it's it's just a basic golden rule. It's a golden rule. I was going to say, Emily, please. Yeah, just you know that uh, it's I, I my wish for women to before they get pregnant is to start thinking about all of this stuff and to start learning about the climate that we're in. And the reality is, all of this stuff exists in the shadows. It exists in the shadows because people are too shamed to talk about it, and because it's become a normalized standard of care. And so people don't even realize that they're abused, and they think it's their own fault or their own body that they needed an unnecessary or they needed whatever went down. And so talk about it. Find your local support groups t- process this if anybody you know around you can be there for you and to just especially planning your next birth find a higher birth keeper hire a birth keeper mm-hmm. really explore what is intuitive to you because this is your story and you deserve the respect and the the trust in your ability to do this as much as anybody would there are two websites that we've mentioned here in closing we'll also put them on the website dr stew's podcast if uh you would please uh the websites that uh that we offered earlier one is improvingbirth.org and the other one is humane uh, i'm sorry human rights in childbirth.org and you can also find us birth keepers on the la doulas.com sure okay that's right, wonderful you guys, you guys have your own websites too mm-hmm. do you want to give them real quick that's it that's it that's it. LA, the okay. la doulas.com and you can get childbirth education facebook through. instagram mm-hmm. facebook okay and, it's uh, great childbirth stuff. education from embracing childbirth uh this uh this podcast will be up soon it's dr stew's podcast number 81 may i say uh well, to, it'll actually to, be up when people are actually listening to it yeah that's right, that's right. right. <laughs> they've already heard the whole podcast i know i'm that's exactly right all right leave me alone uh informative uh compassionate and uh i learned a lot thank you Thank you. Thank you. I mean, it. I hope you'll both come back sure. for podcast uh, number 181. Uh, this has been great, really and truly. Dr. Uh, Dr. Stuart Fishbein, Emily Benner. Benner, Kimmy McGuire, our guests, and uh, Dr. Stuart Fishbein. iTunes is where you want to register. Subscribe at iTunes. You'll never miss a podcast. You'll get like an alert. They come to your house and knock on the door. And they let you know, hey, there's a new Dr. Stu's podcast, so you can't miss it. Yeah, I, I, I really, the last thing I want to say is I really like what Emily said, or the word she came up with, we talked about it before, called medical rituals. And I think that that's something that we're going to explore in a future podcast a little bit, a little bit more in depth. It's great stuff. We thank you both for your time, two times in a row. For Dr. Thank Stuart you. Fishbein, I'm Brian Whitman. Thanks for joining us on Dr. Stu's podcast. Thank you.